This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always mas. I am the literary curator for the Latino Bookstore here at the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center. Technically, this is the Progreso Art Gallery. And you'll notice we've got different exhibitions. Today is the last event in our Texas Authors Series. So I want you to know that the bookstore will be open throughout the week. And it's usually open from Tuesday to Saturday. 10 to 4, and it's a little open a little later on Fridays to accommodate this event. And this is the last of our full year programming. So we've been having an author every first Friday of the month. And in a little bit, I'm going to give you a full-fledged introduction to our guest, Javier Garza. But I do want to give him an applause right off the bat. He's a dear friend of mine. But I do want to put into context what you're going to experience. So first of all, this is being live streamed on the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center Facebook page, but it's also part of Nuestra Palabra ET. What does that mean? So, <laughs> terrestrial radio refers to FM stations, like 90.1 FM in Houston, etc. So Nuestra Palabra, which I'm the founder of, and Rodrigo Bravo is our sound engineer. Aplausos para Rodrigo Bravo, por favorcito, por favorcito. Um, we do live events that started in Houston, but we also have a radio show. But now that we've got all these different platforms, we're not just a terrestrial radio show on 90.1 FM. We're also extraterrestrial and aliens as well, perhaps. Maybe that's what that means. <laughs> but that means that this live stream is live on social media right now. The video will air on fox26houston.com. The audio will air on 90.1 FM KPFT. It will become one of our podcasts, and then we share it on social media, classes. So not just one version of this. This is happening here on the west side of San Antonio. It's being shared throughout the city, throughout Texas, and that's what we want to showcase, our community's voices for everybody. So this is the literary department, of the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center. And this is going to be the final session of the Texas Author Series, but it will come back next year, even bigger and better. Because you're here today, you're going to be entered in a raffle. So there's pan dulce, of course, and, and some soft drinks. So enjoy that. But because you're here, we're going to show you the Q code. And I'll pass that around in a little bit for you to fill out, and you will be entered in our raffle for literary gold. What does that mean? That means that we're going to raffle one book from every author that's been part of the Texas Author Series this year, and that's a lot of authors. So when somebody says there's not a lot of Latino authors, you say, that's not true. They were able to raffle over a dozen books by writers that were here in person, so not just not just enjoying the book, but we've known the writers. And then we also do special events, as in today, the art 
on the walls are actually examples of Jaure Garza's work as well. So not only is he a writer, he's a visual artist, and he's also given some workshops for the students across the street at Breckenridge and the parents because he's also a teacher. So this is not your typical bookstore. This is really showcasing the community and our community cultural capital, which is our stories, our gente. I do want to give some applause to our director, Cristina Bailly, who's behind you right there. Hola, Cristina. And I want to thank her because she's the one that had the vision to put the bookstore here. And she's the one that okayed the pan dulce <laughs> and the raffle. But, but she also was very excited to showcase not just authors from all over the country because we want, we want the whole country to know that Tejas has powerful voices. But we also want to showcase writers from here in San Antonio like Javier Garza. So I just want to let you know what's going on. Have fun. Enjoy it. But know that this is a really important issue for our cultura across the country, and I'm so proud that we're involved and it's happening right here. So that leads me to explain why I'm so happy to welcome Javier Garza. And we're celebrating the publications of his 19th and 20th book. So that deserves some applause right there. Javier, I know some people that haven't read 20 books in their life, let alone written 20. So that's amazing. But I also want to inspire you. Porque me da mucho orgullo el éxito de mi amigo Javier. Porque yo lo conocí before he was published. So he was a writer. And we met here. This is the legacy of the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center. We met here at the International Amer Inter-American... Inter, intra? Inter -American book it, the Inter-American Book Festival used to take place here at the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center. Um, we do make a distinction. They had a spot that sold books. It wasn't a bookstore, though, because it didn't have all the back office, all the publicity that we have now. It's just a different time. We're not, I don't want to diminish what they did. I'm acknowledging the history. But at that time, it was more of the book festival drew folks in. And that's where I came from Houston. I was presenting my book, The, the Aztec Love Guide at the time, um, which is available here. So The Aztec Love Guide is available here, along with my new book, The Tip of the Pyramid, Cultivating Community Cultural Capital. But cultural capital is our history, our stories. I got to meet Javier. He was performing. And we came from Houston with some other writers from Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, y este muchacho se aventó, este vato se aventó. Mucho uh, animo. And he, he would tell a story everywhere. We'd be like, all right, let's go tell it in this community center. He would go. And we're like, this dude's down with us. We said, like, you got to get you to Houston. And he would come to Houston. He would showcase his writing. And in Nuestra Palabra were monthly events with writers from our community with nationally published writers. Well, we used to also then in Houston do the Latino Book and Family Festival, which is no more because of economic issues, etc. But he came one year. And he presented his work, and he, that's where he would wind up meeting Dr. Nicholas Canelos from Arte Publico Press. We have their books here as well. And they would meet, and that was the road for him to get his first book published. And I think that's so wonderful because we have some young folks here, and this is going to happen to you. Your books, your albums, your stories will be spread all over. And because he was 
convicted, tenacious, you had the convictions, you had el deseo, el ánimo, el apoyo. You're here with your parents, your, your families, loved one. That's wonderful because my mom was my first literary agent, okay? <laughs> like, she would tell people, es, es escritor. And you'd be like, ¿qué escrito? She'd be like, tú no lees suficiente libros para saber qué escrito, right? I mean, she would, she'd be championing me from day one, and I'm like, I'm going to do this. This is awesome, you know? So it's always good to have that support. You're getting that support now. But just like Javier's story has impacted teachers across the country, students and other writers, that's what's going to happen here, and that's what keeps going. That's what makes this bookstore special. We can tell you that story. You can meet our friends. You can see the artwork. You have the Day of the Dead exhibits también. And if you come on some other nights, you're going to have some play, danza, Actually, uh, the Malinche Art Exhibit at the San Antonio Art Museum also had a, a, the Malinche Exhibit, which the dance company from here created, choreographed. So it's is a big movement. And tonight, I do want to celebrate Javier. So that was a long introduction, but I do want that chronicled. I want you to know the story. Y más que nada, que tengan el ánimo. You know, being a student's hard. That's why they give you grades, and that's why they, they grade them difficult to make you better to make you better students, scholars, it's difficult. However, once you continue, once you do well, the whole world is at your feet. So without, without further ado, I do want, let's give him a warm round of applause. He's gonna thrill us tonight. Please welcome Javier Garza. Hello everybody, and thank you, Tony. Yeah, we and Tony go way back. Uh, I tell people, I got published because of Tony Diaz. You know, when I was presenting, and he, he, I was presenting, like he said, at the Latino Book Festival, and I tell people it sounds really dramatic, but the whole thing lasted like two minutes. You know, you know, Calero's, Dr. Calero's came up. We had a really brief conversation. He gave me his business card, said, call me on Monday, and it's Saturday, so you just have to kind of wait. Uh, but, you know, one thing that I always tell people, I tell people it took me almost 10 years to get my first book published. But when I tell people this, I tell them anybody can write a book. Todos ustedes aquí presentes, todos podemos escribir un libro. And the reason we all can write a book is because, truthfully, we all have stories. Every single one of us. We have cuentos. We have things that have either happened to you or to someone that you know. Or you have that aunt, uncle, mother, grandparent. They keep telling you all these stories, all these cuentos, and all these stories that you hear. They become the foundation for your book. And you might say, well, what should I write about? I tell people, write about what you know. Write about things that have happened to you. I'll do two, two books tonight, and I'll talk about the other ones too, but one of the first things that I tell people when I, about writing about what you know, growing up in El Valle, and in San Antonio is pretty much the same thing. Growing up in El Valle, we grew up with our cuckoo stories. And I tell people, we didn't get the wonderful bedtime story before we went to bed. There was no handsome prince, no beautiful princess, no big castle, no happily ever after, no, no, no. We got the story of a woman that drowned her children in the river. And then came back as a ghost and would steal other children. Or they would tell you stories about an alien from outer space that drained the blood of goats. 
Or they would tell you a story about a girl that goes to a dance and ends up dancing with a handsome stranger that turned out to be the devil in disguise. And after they tell you all these stories, all these cuentos, they would tell you, okay, mija, mijo, go to your room, turn off the lights, and go to sleep. But we love it. That's why when you hear the word cucuy, you, you automatically get that smile on your face because you know what it is. You know, with you guys, you know, in San Antonio, Austin, Houston, El Valle, I don't have to explain. When I say cucuy, most people know what it is. You go to other places, you mention cucuy, and they're like, the wawa, kukukua, the boogeyman. Oh, oh the, the boogeyman. We know the boogeyman. But, you know, and so what I did is I wanted to write one book that would feature all of these kukuis. And, and I tell people this. I tell them, you know, you know, all my books, I take two things, simple things that we all experience at one time or another in our lives, and I merge them to create a cuento. A story. The story is about a little boy named Damian, who is not afraid of La Llorona or her monster friends, Los Cucuis. But they are determined to frighten Damian, whatever it takes. <clears throat> Because according to La Llorona, all children should fear her and her monster friends. This is called La Llorona Can't Scare Me. La Llorona No Me Asusta. And it goes something like this. The scary ghost of La Llorona is hollering up a storm outside little Damian's window. She's going, ay, mis hijos, oh, my children, trying to scare little Damian. But little Damian, no tiene miedo. He's not afraid, not even a little bit. He looks at La Llorona and says, you silly Llorona, scream all you want. You can't scare me, not even a little bit. So La Llorona is shocked because all children fear La Llorona. This is unnatural. She can't allow this to happen, to continue to stand. So she calls in for help. Yes, La Llorona has friends. And they are called Los Cucuis. The first two Cucuis that appear are two large lechuzas, witch owls. And they're flying around the room going hoot, hoot, hoot. And they flap their wings and stare at Damian with their scary glowing red eyes. But Damian says... You silly lechuzas flying around my room, trying to scare me. You can't scare me. Not even a little bit. Well, lechuzas don't know what to do because the man is not afraid of La Llorona and he's not afraid of two lechuzas flying around in his room. But then the man hears the sound of little voices whispering under his bed. Damian says, who could be whispering under my bed? So he looks under, and what does he see? He sees one, two, three little green duendes, little green trolls, making scary sounds, trying to scare him. He goes, you silly little duendes, are you trying to scare me? One of the duendes looks up at Damian and says, is it working? Damian says, not even a little bit. So Damian is not afraid of Llorona. He is not afraid of no lechuzas, and he's not even afraid of three little duendes whispering under his bed. But next, Damian hears someone knocking at his door. Knock, knock, knock. Das, das, das. Nita says, I think it might be the donkey lady, because I can hear her going, hee-haw, hee-haw, on the other side of the door. He peeks through the hole, and yes, it is the donkey lady. 
he opened the door and says, You silly donkey lady, you can't scare me, not with those silly donkey ears of yours. Not even a little bit. So Damian is not afraid of La Llorona. He is not afraid of the lechuzas. He's not afraid of duendes. And even the donkey lady cannot scare him. But next, Damian hears the sound of feet running on top of his roof. Das, 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 das. And he sees something leap through his window. He sees something leap off the roof and perch itself on the tree next to his bedroom window. He goes, runs up to the window and sees that it's El Chupacabras. And it's looking at him going, <sighs> staring at him with those scary red eyes of his. But Damian says, you silly chupacabras, you can't scare me, not even a little bit. So Damian is not afraid of La Llorona. He is not afraid of no witch owls. Duendes don't scare him. Donkey lady don't scare him. And now even the much-feared chupacabras cannot scare him. But then when he turns around, he sees on top of his bed, one, two, three little diablitos, three little devils jumping up and down in his bed. And they're all wearing lucha libre masks. And Damian says, are you three little devils trying to scare me? They jump up even higher trying to scare him. He says, you can't scare me. Not even a little bit. And he grabs the bed sheet and he pulls it knocking all three little diablitos down to the ground off his bed. So now Damian is not afraid of La Llorona. He is not afraid of no witch owls. Duendes under his bed don't scare him. Donkey don't scare him. Chupacabras don't scare him. And even little three little devils jumping up and down in his bed, they don't scare him. But then he hears a voice coming from outside his bedroom window. And he turns around and he sees a bruja, a witch. And she is casting spells at him. Damian walks up to the window and says, You silly bruja, you can't scare me. Not with, by trying to cast spells on me. Not even a little bit. I'm not afraid of you. Now Damian has not been scared by La Llorona. The chusas don't scare him. Duendes don't scare him. Donkey lady don't scare him. Chupacabras don't scare him. Little devils jumping on top of his bed don't scare him. And even a bruja, a witch, can no, cannot scare him. But then he hears a sound going, ooh, and he turns around, and he's a ghost, a fantasma rattling its chains. And Damian says, you silly fantasma, do you really think I'm going to be scared of you? Not even a little bit. So now, Damian is not afraid of La Llorona. He's not afraid of no witch owls. Duendes don't scare him. Donkey lady don't scare him. Chupacabras can't scare him. Devils on top of his bed don't scare him. A bruja don't scare him. A fantasma don't scare him. But then one of the big guns shows up because his closet door swings open. And from inside his closet, out steps... Who's talking to you? <laughs> Outsteps. Yeah, the watch can't mind of its own. It's haunted. Uh, Outsteps El Cucuy. And he is carrying a burlap sack, una bolsa. And he says, I'm El Cucuy and I'm going to steal you away. Damian looks at the Cucuy. Then he looks at the, at the bag and says, you silly Cucuy. 
Haven't you noticed? I've gotten too big to fit in your burlap sack. You can't steal me. And you don't scare me either. So now Damian is not afraid of La Llorona. He is not afraid of no witch owls. He is not afraid of duendes. He is not afraid of the donkey lady. Chupacabras don't scare him. Duendes, uh, little devils jumping on top of his bed don't scare him. A bruja don't scare him. A fantasma don't scare him. And even El Cujuy can scare him. But next, a calavera appears. The kind you see during Dia de los Muertos. And it's singing and dancing and making scary Sounds to scary music as it sings and dances. And Damian says, really? You think you can scare me with music and dancing? I love to dance. I love to sing. And Damian starts to sing and dance too. I'm not scared of you, Calavera. Not even a little bit. Now the cuckoos are all, they don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. La Llorona finally says, why aren't you scared of me? Everybody's afraid of La Llorona. Damian says, do you really want to know why you can't scare me? Yes, says La Llorona. We really truly want to know. Do your friends want to know? Yes, they all yell. We all want to know. Why can't we scare you? Because I have a secret weapon that will make you all run away and hide. Do you want to know what it is? Yes, they yell. We really want to know. And Damian says, he reaches under his pillow and pulls out his luchador nightlight that is wearing a silver mask. He plugs it into the wall, turns it on, and light fills the room. Light emanating from his mighty mask, silver luchador. All the cuckoos run looking for a place to hide trying to get away from the light of his mighty luchador. And that's why Damian declares, and that's why none of you can scare me. And he holds up his mighty luchador nightlight for all of them to see, but you're welcome to come back and try any time. And that's why La Llorona can't scare little Damian. Tan tan! When I, I tell people, when you break down the story, all that story is, is cuckoos, which a lot of us grew up hearing stories about cuckoos. But also what it's about is one of the things that all kids experience growing up. One of, when a kid starts sleeping at, you know, in his or her own room, one of the first things they get is a nightlight. Like a little little light to keep the room lit so it won't be totally dark. And when a kid, if you're, you know, when you're a little, your parents pick it for you. But when you get a little older, you're still technically a kid, but now you get to make some choices. You pick your own nightlight. It could be, if you, if you like superheroes, it could be Batman, or it could be Superman, or it could be Spider-Man, or Wonder Woman. It could be a princess. It could be whatever you like, or some Disney character. But, you know, that, and that's all that book is about. It's about nightlights and cuckoos and kids not being afraid of them. Because they have their secret weapon, which is a little nightlight that makes the darkness go away until the power goes out. 
But uh, so that, that's all that is, I tell people. And in almost every book that I've written, I try to base it on some experiences that I went through growing up. I have one called The Great and Mighty Nico. It's about a little boy uh, who's jumping up and down on his bed. Who has not jumped up and down on their bed growing up? And what happens is he gets caught and he tells his mom that he's not the one jumping up and down in the bed. It's his luchadores, his action figures that are jumping up and down on the bed. And of course, it's not, but it's in his mind, in his imagination, they are. And, uh, and in that story, it, what happens is it's basically about children, how we use our imagination. The kids' children use their imaginations to play. And you know, that's where the creative process starts. We create ideas, we create stories in our head, and eventually, if you don't, if if you stay with it, when you get older, because I tell people, uh, you know, I grew up, you know, reading comic books, watching television, reading magazines and books, and then eventually, I would have all these stories in my own head, and eventually, I began to write them down. Uh, I grew up my whole life surrounded by storytellers. My father, my mother, my grandparents—they were all storytellers, and the only thing that I do different from them. Is I, I tell the stories, but I also write them down. And you know, really, truthfully, that's the hardest thing for some people to do. Just, but I tell them, don't worry about the grammar, the punctuations, all that will come. The important thing is to get it down on paper. Once you have it down on paper, you can go back and change it, edit, get people to edit it for you. But the idea, the initial story, that's what matters. You want to, you know, and and I tell people. Save all your ideas, even the silly ones, because sometimes it is a silly idea that turns out to be a great idea. And just be, and ideas can come from anywhere, guys. Uh, I tell, I tell. There's several stories that I have that I tell children about stories and where they come from. Uh, this is one that I've used before. Uh, one of the things that I always tell people is that idea. Something could be happening right now in another part of the world that could inspire you one day to write a book. And I use this example. A long time ago, before you were born, before your parents were born, and if, you, and you, and if your grandparents were around at that time, they were probably little babies. There was a group of French soldiers that were passing through Canada. And as, they, as, the, as the train was passing, they stopped. And when you've been, you've been in a car all day, you want to get out, stretch your legs. Soldiers were no different. They were out there stretching their legs. And while they were out there, they found a baby bear. And the bear was hungry. It was a baby bear, so bear, ba- hey, baby bears are cute. They're not so cute when they get big. But when they're little, they're cute. And the bear was hungry. They found a jar of honey, and they fed the bear honey. They even put it in a baby bottle. Well, they thought the bear was cute, so they kept them as a pet, which seemed like a great idea at the time. Bunch of guys together, yeah, they have some great ideas, right? Then they decide, well, he's getting too big. We can't keep him anymore. So they end up donating him to a zoo in London. Now, the bear could do tricks. It would roll forward, and it would roll back. And if you gave it a jar of honey, it would hold it with its front paws and its hind legs and tilt it and drink the honey. And there was a kid that loved to go to that zoo. He didn't want to see the gorillas. He didn't want to see the giraffes or the lions. He wanted to see the bear. Not the bears, but the bear. That bear that loved to eat honey. Well, the boy grew up and he became a writer. And he wrote a book about a bear that loved to eat honey. The real bear's name was Winnipeg. And that Winnipeg was the inspiration for Winnie the Pooh. 
And of course, it led to the dolls, the books. And by the way, all those piglet, all those characters, they were stuffed animals. They were the inspiration for the characters. And he had a son. And he put his son in the book. And his son's name was Christopher Robin. So that's what I tell you. Ideas can come from anywhere. Something could be happening right now that you had nothing to do with, but one day could inspire you to write a book. And we all have stories. We all have cuentos. Uh, I'll do this one last. Uh, now, some people say, I grew up loving Lucha Libre. And uh, one of the things that I did, I did a whole series of books on Lucha Libre, Mexican wrestling. Going back to write about what you love, love about what you know. And uh, this series, the Maximilian and the Mystery of the Guardian Angel series, it's about a boy named uh, Max who loves Lucha Libre. He loves it. His favorite wrestler is the Guardian Angel, who has been wrestling since before he was even born. But what he doesn't realize, he learns later on in the stories, is that the Guardian Angel is really his great uncle who everybody, in the, everybody believes died 37 years ago in a big bar, bar fight in Monterrey. Very telenovela, right? But he's been living all this time a secret life as the guardian angel, the most famous wrestler in the world, most famous luchador in the world. But since he wears a mask, nobody knows who he really is. And then one day, they discover who he is. Uh, and, well, the family discovers who he is. And, and it's about the guardian angel represents a certain uh, thing. He represents goodness. He represents fairness. He represents all that is right. He is perfect. But the man that is the guardian angel is, about, is pretty imperfect. And his, his nephew is determined to make him live up to the idea of, what, of the character he created. And, uh, and so it's a whole series. There's, there's four books in the series. And uh, working on the fifth. So you know, that's why I tell people, just write about what you know. Write about things that you have experienced. Because you all have cuentos. You all have stories. You know, I tell people that, you know, if you have a story, you write it down. You don't have to write the whole book there and then. It's a process. But you want to write it down because a lot of really great stories are lost every day. Because people say, I'm not, you know, I'll remember. But then you don't. When you write it down, you're saving it. And so that's why I always tell, write your stories down and go back and then you, then you build up your story, you create your characters and you, you, you put out this cuento, this story that's in you that is, uh, is begging to be told. series where the idea being that cuckoos will be around forever and I tell people these stories are so old your great great grandfather was running around in diapers and even then the stories were already old and I say diapers not pampers because back in those days there was no such thing as pampers and so what happens is I put them like like in the futuristic setting like there you have you all know the story the devil at the dance Girl goes to the dance without against her mother's wishes. 
dances with a handsome stranger, and while she's dancing, she looks down, and he's a great dancer. You know, he's a, I tell, the, if you've heard the story, he walks in, and he is so handsome, he is so good looking, that all the girls turn to look at him. All the guys hold on to their girlfriends just a little bit tighter, and all the girlfriends look at their boyfriends and think to themselves, how much do I really like this guy? And, of course, he always goes and he asks the prettiest girl at the dance. Ladies, I know when you go to a dance, everybody wants to be the prettiest girl, but you don't want to be the prettiest girl at the dance. You want to shoot for number two. Because if you go back and look at all these stories, the prettiest girl at the dance always gets it. It never ends well. Shoot for number two. You're safe. You're safe as long as you're number two. Let number one be the one that gets it. And uh, so, of course, there, you know, he asked her to dance, and everybody thinks she's, oh, all the girls are envious, but if they're dancing, and he's a great dancer, but if they're dancing, all of a sudden, they start to notice that, she starts to notice that he's changing. Like, his facial features are changing. And then she looks down, and she sees the foot of a chicken, that of a goat. Next thing you know, she realizes it's the devil in disguise. And, of course, the girl usually dies in the story. Of course, she went to the dance without her mother's permission. Moral of the story is always listen to your mother. So when I have them there, they're in space, but they're wearing like futuristic space suits. Of course, his have little horns because he is the devil. And, you know, they're about to dance in space. The other ones are lechuzas, witch owls, but I have it in almost militaristic looking space suits because lechuzas always travel in packs. They're always like they're a group. They, they, uh, you know, they, uh, they attack in groups. They fly around in groups. They, they're a flock. And uh, so I kind of put them like almost like militant. Uh, and, of course, the one at the end over here, that's the donkey lady. I had never heard of the donkey lady till I came to San Antonio. And when I heard the story, I thought, oh, that is so cool. But, of course, she sounds like, like kind of like a cross between La Llorona and the donkey lady. But it was such a cool character that I ended up using her a lot in some of my stories. And there she is in space, you know, wearing the helmet. And, uh, and of course, the idea being that these are characters that, you know, they're going to be around forever. Your, great, your own grandchildren will be hearing stories about La Llorona. And the story is going to be, get, continue to be told. It'll change. It'll evolve over time because all stories change. That's how they survive. But... Uh, you know, it used to be by way of mouth, <clears throat> then eventually now through books, the internet. You, you Google La Llorona, you will get so many sites on La Llorona. There's all kinds of, and, and there's variations to the story. Because I've done, myself, I've done variations to the story where she's the villain, she's the hero. She's kind of like in the middle. Uh, and I put El Santo in there because, you know, you got to have the hero to fight all these cucuis. And, and, and El Santo was one of my favorite characters growing up. El Santo was a masked wrestler from Mexico, kind of based the guardian angel on him. He always wore, wore a mask. Even when he would show up to functions and stuff, he would be wearing a tuxedo, but with his silver mask on. And uh, the idea was that, the, at least what the movies claimed, was that the mask is what gave him powers. The mask is what kept him strong and young. And what's ironic about the whole story about El Santo is that in real life, he was diagnosed with a heart condition when he was much older. And he was put on nitroglycerin pills. And, of course, what's the first thing he does? You're, in that, you, you're having heart problems. What does he do? 
I'll go on a tour. Farewell tour. And he's wrestling, saying in his way, saying goodbye to everybody. And eventually he was being interviewed on live television by Jacobo Jalodowski, who was the Walter Cronkite of Mexico. And during the interview, they asked El Santo if there was anything he wanted to share with the public and during his, his farewell tour. He said, I want to tell everybody that my name is Rodolfo Guzman Huerta. And that said, he unlaced his mask and for a brief moment raised it up, showed everybody his face, then brought the mask back down. And El Santo would die a, a few weeks after that. The idea being that because he unmasked himself, he became mortal and passed away. And he, and he left instructions. His funeral was televised. It was a big thing. Uh, the co silver coffin being carried by a, mul a multitude of people around it, all yelling, you know, El Santo, El Santo, El Santo. And so, you know, it was like he planned his own ending. He gave this character that he had created, he gave them this amazing ending to the story. And, you know, that's why a lot of people say that he probably knew how serious his condition was. So he was creating this ending. He was telling a story. The story of this character that he had created. Now, over here, this other one. That's a Blue Diamond, which is another character. I have him also in a spacesuit. That last one over there, it's about, it's, it's a dual story. It's like when you're born, you're born as a luchador. You're going to fight. You're going to struggle. And sometimes even when you're being born, you face hardships, complications. But you survive and you grow. You become stronger. And eventually you become the person that you're meant to be. The person that you're going to be. And, uh, you know, and so that's why I put the, the little baby wearing the luchador mask. And, of course, I put the, the Razonida flag. Uh, symbol on it because that is part of the struggle you know uh, go back 50 years things were different from the, the way they are now the opportunities that we have today were not there 50 years ago 60 years ago and it's an ongoing struggle always pushing forward always uh, you know that there's more and more people getting published with last names like Lopez Martinez children I believe when people read stories they should see themselves reflected in these stories. Because then that makes the story more real. And it makes them think, you know what? That story is my story. And if he or she can write that story, you know what? I, I can do it too. I have my own cuento. I have my own story. And it inspires, you know, people to, to go further. Take it as far as they can. And the last ones that are over there toward the back are the return of Quetzalcoatl. I put it, it's Quetzalcoatl, the feathered serpent. You know the story. He created the people of the, fifth, of the uh, fourth world and, uh, you know, taught them how to live off the land. Left, promising one day to return. And I have him returning as a space traveler because if you watch the, if you watch the sci-fi channel, you watch the history channel, like everything was done by aliens if you were to listen to those people. <laughs> <clears throat> the, those pyramids in Egypt, aliens, you know, and, and, and of course they weren't. It was made by people, people that went and, you know, they, they used their brain. They used, you know, you know, the, the knowledge that they learned to create these incredible monuments. Uh, 
But, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's part of this idea that there has to be some creatures from space or that gave us all this technology and made it happen. But it's not. It's us. It's our stories. It's what we do. We strive forward and we grow and we create. As a kid, I always loved to draw. I tell people, I was an artist first before I was a writer. My bachelor's, my master's are all in art. But I always love to do storytelling. Then a friend of mine named David Rice told me one time, you know, he's a writer too. He said, instead of just telling your stories, you really need to write them down. So I sat down and I said, you know what? I'm going to learn how to write. And keyword being learn how to write. You can write. But you can have all these stories, but you have to sit down and discipline yourself to write your story. And from there, you know, uh, and you're going to read it. You're going to go like, no, no, that's not what the way, that's not what I meant. And you're going to go through a whole bunch of edits and rewrites and stuff till eventually you find a style that you're comfortable with. Uh, so what I, I tell people ask me, well, are you a writer, an artist? I tell them, well, I'm an artist. I'm not the best artist out there. There are people out there that are much better than I am. But I am a good artist. Uh, I'm a writer. Not the best writer. There's other people there that are, I mean, I read their work and I go like, wow. Denise Chavez is one of my favorite writers. I love to read her stuff. I mean, I cry, I laugh when I read her stuff. I, you know, I, I read, uh, when, when uh, there was a, book, a story she wrote called La Wedding. It's a short story about La Wedding. And it's, it's hilarious. Everything bad that could happen at a wedding happens there. And I love the way she captures people in the story. At the wedding reception, uh, the relatives show up. Oh, my God, how are you doing? Oh, it's been years. You look wonderful. And everybody's all happy. And the minute they, they, they part ways and go in an opposite direction, can you believe how fat he's gotten? It's like, it's like this whole, and I just love Love that she can capture that. But I, you know, but I go, I'm not the best writer, but I am a good writer. And what happens is I combine both of them to tell a story. And I tell whether you're writing or whether you're making a drawing or you're making a painting, you're telling a story. And ultimately, uh, that's what I consider myself to be, a storyteller. And a lot of people are storytellers. They might do it through writing. They might do it through speaking. They might do it through their art. They might do it through poetry. But ultimately, you're telling a story. And uh, some people, one person asked me what, one time, what is the best part of writing a book? And I told him the best part of writing a book is that you're creating something that's going to outlive you. In 10, 20, 30, 40 years, that book, you know, the, the author could be gone. He or she could be gone. But you know what? That book's going to be in a shelf somewhere. Some kid's going to get it. They're going to read it. You know what? Maybe your story might inspire them to write their own story. And in that sense, your story continues to be told. I remember one time when we were at, I was at a Barnes & Noble, and my, I was reading, a, I, uh, I got a book that I wanted to, you know, my son got a book for me to read to him, and 
it was Danny and the Dinosaur. And I went like, you know what? My dad read this book to me. And now I'm going to read it to my kid. And you know what? That book's still going to be out there when he has his own family. And maybe one day he'll come across it. And he'll read it to his own kid. And, and that, to me, that's the best part of create, writing a book. It's something that's going to be around for other people to share, enjoy, and hopefully, you know, be motivated to create their own, their own story and share it with the world. Because if you're going to write a story, you have to be willing to share. You got to share your story. Anybody else? Another question for una pregunta from anybody? Yes. Have, have I direct? I, I've never directed a play. Yeah, I've, I, I love theater, though. I love theater. Uh, that's, that's another reason that I love watching Denise Chavez perform. And, I, and it is, if you've ever seen Denise Chavez read, it's a performance. You know, she, yeah, she's read, yeah, she's got her book, and she's reading from her book, but she's not really reading. She's uh, performing. Because I remember one time, we're in Corpus Christi, and she was reading, and we're sitting close to the front, and she walked up there, and she walked up to the mic, and she was reading... She was reading from the book, uh, I believe it was Face of an Angel. And she goes up there. She hunches her, she hunches her shoulders down, droops them a bit, lowers her glasses down halfway through her, to her face, and starts talking like a grandmother. And she's telling her granddaughter why she should never trust a man. Now, don't trust a man, mija. They're terrible. And you know what? They shed hair. You don't believe me? Look, look, after a man takes a shower, look in the, look in the, look in, look in the, in the, in the drain. What are you going to see? Hair. And so it was just hilarious. And I, I, I love theater. I love performing. I love uh, Carmen Tafoya. I love to see her perform because she literally becomes another person and, and, and brings in the audience. So, yeah, they're, they're, and, and if, if storytelling, there is a theater aspect to, to storytelling. You want to tell the story and kind of capture the audience. I wrote a book called Rooster, uh, uh, Rooster Joe and the Bully. Now, Rooster Joe was actually based on, it's a, it's a little, it's a boy, he's a middle school boy who's, you know, he, him and a bunch of other kids are being bullied by this guy. And when it turns, turns what they learn is that, yeah, the bully's bigger than they are, but together, together they can, they are bigger than the bully. And it's basically, and they are able to overcome the bully. But the question, well, the story actually comes from a real life story between uh, Joe Lopez who used to have Gaista Gallery before he retired. Gaista Gallery was one of the premier galleries here in San Antonio for Chicano, Latino, Hispanic art. And, well, Joe Lopez became... A, a lot of people do roosters now. But Joe Lopez was one of the first artists to do the rooster as a theme. And uh, he did a whole series of paintings that he, of roosters that he called them Puro, his Puro Gallo series. And he got sued by Gallo Wines. They said, you can't call it Gallo. We own the we, we own it. I'm not calling it Gallo. I'm calling it Gallo. That's Spanish for rooster. Spelt the same. So it's ours. And it was a five-year legal battle. 
Uh, he was rep- uh, luckily Joe had people that believed it. he was represented pro bono by uh, former Congressman Philemon Vela Jr. His dad was a uh, was one of the you know, big uh, you know just uh, judges uh, in prior to that, and uh, Philemon Vela represented him for five years, and uh, together they made Gallo Wines do something he had never done before. They actually backed down. And they, uh, they, and the whole deal ended with, I mean, I, I never asked him what the settlement, all that stuff was, but one thing he did say was, they said, just don't call yourself Gallo. And I said, I'm not calling myself Gallo. I'm calling my paintings Gallo. There's a difference. So that kind of, that story of it, kind of like a, you know, little guy going up against this big corporation uh, was the inspiration for Rooster Joe and the Bully, where he showed that one person might not be able to go up against this bigger thing, but when they all banded together, they were able to, you know, overcome it. Again, this is the last of our 2022 authors, Texas author series. This is it for 2022. It's a a little bittersweet. It's been a fun year, but next year is going to be even bigger. So uh, thank you so much for coming. Last round of applause for Javier. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. This is Tony Diaz. I want to thank Roxana Guzman, who is our producer for our social platform broadcast. Also, Rodrigo Bravo, who mixes our show and audio for KPFT 90.1 FM. Mark Andre Pignon is our graphics designer. Ramos Ortiz is in charge of our search engine optimization. Uh, Leticia Lopez helps us with music. And, of course, you, dear listeners, are always supporting us. Thanks a lot, and we look forward to seeing you at the arts.